as long as you can stand, you can start training your balance and your foot ability. To start, you don't even need a soulmate. The idea of open sourcing all of our training, all the soulmate sessions, all the soulmate training system, and literally getting people to start with a rolled up towel at home and building up to the capacity to be able to start using something like a soulmate. And we'd actually prefer that people get hooked on the training first with the very simple, cheap, tools that they've got at home, like a towel and a balled up pair of socks, realize how much fun it is, realize that they can improve, then invest in the tools. Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast, hosted by your soulmates from the Foot Collective. I'm Jim, and here at TFC, we're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural function from the ground up, so they can explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. This week, Nick, Mac and I explore the evolution of our training philosophy and approach over the years, from where Nick started in his physio practice with his balance beams, all the way through to our latest Soulmate training system. Along the way, we discuss the Protect, Correct, Develop framework, the integration of hardware and software, the concept of Restore to Explore, as well as, of course, the importance of play-based training for building a more adaptable and resilient body and mind. Towards the end, we discussed the seven days of play challenge, which we've actually decided to call the play is the way challenge, but it does start with seven consecutive days exploring one of our beginner soulmate sessions each day. We've also created a proof of play log that will guide you through every step of the way and help you track your progress. The idea is that you start with the seven days in a row, get hooked on the process and the progress and continue as a daily habit. We already have a bunch of legends leading the way with this challenge and supporting each other, but of course, the more the merrier. So if you're keen to get involved, the next step is to join the community. We'll put a link in the show notes and you can download your proof of play log to get started. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the episode today. If you do find value in it or in any of our podcasts, you can help us spread the word by sharing it with your family and friends and also by leaving us a review wherever you're listening. Yeah, so we've been kind of reminiscing on the journey that we've been on with TFC, uh, specifically relating to the training that we do and our philosophy around training. And I know, Nick, you started all of this in 20, oh, geez, 2015. And you obviously had your philosophy coming into it with how you were training with beams and kits. And it wasn't right away, though. I think that happened like a year or two in. Into the into the TFC. Into the yeah. whole, I kind of, the initial insight was almost everyone that comes in has problems with their feet. Most of them don't realize it yet. And if I can give them some tips to take better care of their feet, they might never get to the point where they have foot, where they have like serious pain from foot dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So it started with the shoes and then just restoring basic function and mobility. And I think it was like a year into it that uh, I busted out that piece of tubing in the clinic as a tool to have an honest screen of people's ability to balance on one leg where they couldn't cheat. They couldn't, it didn't matter how much they compensated or tried to cover up for it. They couldn't cheat it. And it was very obvious. And it was very, the feedback they got was immediate. That was like the best part. Yeah. We were talking about that yesterday, how you said you could collect so much information just by getting someone standing on a beam about Barefoot. their foot function yep. and how their feet integrate with their hips and and all of this. But then the other aspect to that that we talked about is that it was very obvious for the person, for the, yeah. for the actual person doing the balancing, not just you as a PT saying, oh yeah, you've got you know a tired hip or the foot's weak or something. They can feel it mm. and they can experience it directly through literally having to step off the beam so many times. And I also noticed that everyone uh, whether they performed quote unquote well or 
poorly they all smiled because it was like this mm-hmm. it was like this weird fun thing where they were wobbling all over the place and once you're like there's no wrong way of doing it just don't look down they would kind of like be curious as to like they would try it three or four times and on the fourth time they'd be like wow that's already a lot better and so that that instant feedback as to whether or not they're organizing their body in an optimal way and the you know within the course of five minutes seeing radical progress going from like not even being able to balance for like three seconds to going up to 10 seconds is a giant improvement because it's just neural reorganization it's their body getting better at sort of organizing itself it doesn't you don't have to have like radical improvements in strength or mobility or capacity it's really just neural efficiency mm. um it's and... almost like there's almost like a point you can see it the first time someone gets on a beam there's like this turning point where almost the brain wires in and goes i get out like i I'm, i can make sense of how this works now yeah and then the improvement it's, it's almost like a trigger and it, the, I remember the first thing I did with a patient that really made me realize, wow, people actually enjoy this, was I would get them to stand against the wall, I'd put a beam on the ground, stand against a wall on one leg and bounce the ball off the wall. And I would just say, like, try and get up to 20 tosses without falling off. Um, and then I was, I, was, I was working with this kid. He had like Osgood Schlatter, who was a soccer player. And one day I kind of forgot to mention the beam stuff. And he's like, can I do beam stuff before I leave? And I was like, Hmm, that's interesting because you know this kid was i got the sense that this kid was only in there because his parents forced him to go and he wasn't really into it but when we started to play he was actually like he would actually enjoy it and he would ask like what are we going to do today and he was like g'd up about it and i would play with him and he would really get competitive mm-hmm. and yeah i remember that one session where like i had forgotten about the beam and he asked to do it i was like wow this kid went from dreading coming in here to actually wanting to stay longer than his session length and i was like okay there's something to this so so. from like the realization of you know the benefits of having this narrow surface under someone's foot and obviously the value of foot health like what was the next step in the journey to actually teaching people how to train this themselves and and trying to communicate that to the world like what was the next i think it was missing a training framework until you started like I never really had a hard training framework. I would, you know, give people levels on the beam of stances that they could try, but there was never actually a training system uh, until, until like uh, Beeman. There really wasn't ever a system that you could bring people into and they could have a graded system um, mm. of sort of challenges of progressively difficult positions to get into uh, and like task-based stuff. Um, but I think that was a really important element because it always it gave someone it always gave someone a next step to work towards. And I think that's a really important element. So, yeah. For people listening, Beeman was an app that Nick developed in 2020. I think it was over the yeah. COVID, over COVID period. 2021, maybe. Yeah. And that was like a beam training app. And before that, I remember because so for background as well, I actually got into the Foot Collective originally because a mate put me onto the Instagram and I saw people playing on beams. <laughs> I was already in, in, in and around the barefoot shoe or like the natural footwear kind of realm, but then the beam, something just clicked in me. I was like, oh, that looks fun. Mm. And <laughs> I was like, I, got, I think I gotta have one of those. I gotta get, gotta get one. Couldn't get it shipped over from Canada or I would have cost 300, but would have cost more than the beam to yeah. actually have the shipping. Um, so got one made in Australia and that kind of sent me down the down the path and actually I do I was telling you guys yes uh, yesterday or 
this week that when it really clicked for me that I wanted to be a big part of helping spread the education and actually make like a, I guess a business out of it was just being down in the park, playing on the beam and just feeling my body organizing itself around this narrow surface and just like realizing how simple, but how powerful that was for my body to self-organize without anyone having to cue or coach me to do anything different. It's just, did I stay on or did I fall off and just get back on, try again. And it was like a kind of like an epiphany moment of like, ah, oh, I get, I get it. This, this beam is the teacher. I can remember mm. us hanging on the balcony back in Orkinflower and it was almost like epiphany after epiphany. Yeah. <laughs> um, it just sunk in more and more the, yeah, for, for you and then for me, that the fact that yeah it it was going to prompt you the beam you didn't really need anyone holding your hand um it was it was going to tell you when you were doing it right and you knew when you were doing it wrong and as long as you put enough reps in as long as you don't give up yeah eventually the brain or the body and the nervous system figure it out um so we i guess that's kind of jumping ahead a little bit um but that was what got me into it in the first place and then i went to your seminar and in Melbourne, the first one in Australia, and uh, went through basically your whole training, I guess you'd call it philosophy at the time. So, and I remember there was the sort of hardware software dichotomy um, or that whole discussion, and there was also protect, correct, develop. So I think it's good just to sort of explore, because all those frameworks are still relevant mm. and we've sort of updated things as we've gone, um, but, it's good to just go back to those frameworks and talk about those and then how we integrated those into our sort of new or updated philosophy. Yeah, I think protect, correct, develop was something I first heard from Gray Cook. And it was like this um, like hierarchical way of viewing, okay, if you have an issue, there's a certain uh, flow that you can work through that problem in a way that ensures you're not being counterproductive. What I mean by that is, for example, protect, correct, develop within the context of feet is first protect your feet from shoes that remove away your function, right? Because you can train your feet for two hours a day, but if every hour you spend in an unnatural shoe is detraining your shoes, then spending two hours training your feet and eight hours wearing unnatural footwear is counterproductive, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and that really sank in when I saw people in clinic and we would do all this stuff to talk about hip mobility and they would spend like 30 minutes a day mobilizing their hips, but then they would spend eight hours a day sitting. Mm -hmm. It's like, they're kind of, it's kind of getting lost. It's, it's counterproductive to work on your hips while also stiffening your hips every day. So protect, correct, develop is first, protect yourself from what's causing the problem. Once you've done that, work to correct the actual deficits. It might be a strength deficit or mobility deficit, capacity deficit, whatever it might be. And once you've gotten to that point and build basic competency and restored sort of default settings in your body, then you can start to develop um, develop strength, capacity, endurance, all that kind of stuff to, to be resilient. But I think so many people, for example, go to the gym and try and develop all this capacity, and yet they're layering it on poor movement patterns because they're not protecting themselves from sitting in a chair or wearing unnatural shoes all day. Mm. So I think it just gives a bit of clarity where it's like, okay, if you're first starting out, focus your time on eliminating the root cause first so that this, the actual work you do to correct the issues or develop capacity doesn't get lost on um, you continuing to actually do the thing that's creating the problem. That's, that sort of is very aligned with a concept that we've discussed in the past about 
habit and habitat and it's really like the lifestyle change that you need to make you need to create an environment that's going to support the correction and the development Mm. because if you don't have that lifestyle or you don't have that habitat then trying to build the habits that are going to ensure that you can reach those developmental goals it's just yeah one step forward two steps back it's pretty important because that is such a frustrating cycle that people get into where they're working 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 every day on their hip mobility for example and they're just like, oh, my hips just are still staying stiff. And it's and they just maybe haven't put two and two together between, oh, I work on my hip mobility, hip mobility for half an hour and then I stiffen my hips up in one position for eight hours. Mm. And that's, that's a really hard battle to win. It's a very uphill battle. You might make tiny gains, but the you'd be better off just not sitting in a chair for four hours, do no m- mobility work. Yep but sit on the ground instead for the for the rest of the time. And Which that is, is basically a very low level stretch or mobility yep. exercise. I was showing Nick yesterday from the two podcasts we've recorded in this exact position, watching a time-lapse of the hour and a half that the three <laughs> of us were sitting here, all of our legs moving in all of these different patterns for, for an hour and a half, all of the different you know, and we've we've harped on this point so many times, yeah. but yeah, just funny to we'll put up a video on on the Instagram to to show all of our legs moving uh, yeah. throughout the hour and a half. But that's that's the idea. I actually started to contextualize it differently with patients, and I said that think of every hour of sitting as you training hip stiffness. Yeah. Right. Mm. Because then it's like, oh shit, I'm spending all day training stiff hips. Yeah. So I should stop training stiff hips, and automatically I'm gonna have I'm gonna remove the cause that's making me have to do all this mobility work. Mm. Um, and ironically, by sitting on the ground, you actually turn the sitting into into mobility work. Mm-hmm. That's a really um, unintentionally. It's a really simple way of looking at the shoe dilemma as well, and seeing that yeah. if it's eight hours of training narrow feet, as opposed yeah. to the you know training foot weakness and foot immobility mm, yeah um, and, and another uh, like on the flip side of that if you say have a really irritable foot problem uh, and when you go barefoot or in natural footwear it really irritates the foot the foot issue then you may have to spend some time protecting your feet from the load from the extra load that they're not ready to tolerate yet but that doesn't mean that you should be stuck in that protect phase, which I think is where a lot of people do get stuck, especially with feet. It's like, well, I need to support the feet. I need to you know, control the pronation and all of that. But then they get stuck in that phase. They don't then work on the correct and the develop. So it is very possible that you might need some time protecting your feet from extra load. But at this, And then as you're doing that, correcting the issues that are the reason your feet can't tolerate the load. Mm. And it can be so simple, right? I think it's important to make things very simple for people and also to make it so that it's not actually a huge, it's not really about the addition of extra things. It actually becomes more about subtracting the things that cause us problems, knowing that the body will automatically start to self-organize based on the new inputs you're, you're giving it. And, you know, protect, correct, develop within the context of foot health can literally be something as simple as you know, eliminate unnatural footwear and begin a five to 10 minute daily practice of just doing small things to start to correct your foot mobility and strength and then develop a bit of capacity through play. And it doesn't have to be very high level or fancy or elaborate. It can just be something very simple. And the most important part, if you're only going to do one of those three, protect. Yeah, Yeah, because you're right. Like the whole idea is that if you are 
correcting, uh, protecting, then the cor the body wants to correct itself. Yeah. So almost self-correct. Yeah, allow yeah. allow it to correct itself by protecting. And by pro it's like it kind of melds into each other because in theory, if you're protecting your feet by eliminating unnatural yeah. shoes and wearing natural shoes, every walk you take is correcting your mobility and developing capacity and resilience in your feet. As you said, Jim, it might be that if you have such a low level of capacity initially, because you're used to really supportive or really stiff shoes, then part of protect might actually be protecting yourself from overloading yeah. that area and maybe doing some corrective stuff that's a little bit lower, low intensity. But at the end of the day, it can be so much simpler. It can be literally as simple as buy a pair of natural shoes and go for a 30 minute walk a day. And that's the, the only thing you do for your first month. And you kind of self-regulate based on that. But I think people fundamentally underestimate the power of simple things. Yeah. Like even plays there too. So what is the development? How do people develop? Or what was the original philosophy behind getting people to develop? Um, developing the capacity to maintain good foot positioning under load was one thing I started to experiment with. Like I would get people to go, once people developed a certain amount of capacity on a beam, maybe they could balance for 30 seconds and they're pretty good. Uh, I would start to, to kind of load them with a small load, like a kettlebell or a dumbbell, small weight, and they would go on one leg and they would pass the weight around their bodies. And even something that simple was literally uh, put people at their absolute limit because every time you shift that weight around your body, you're shifting your center of mass slightly and you have to, your body has to adapt and recalibrate with every single movement you do with that load. So even something like that, it might have been endurance, like how long can you hold a stable position on one foot? Can you do it while moving at the hip, whether it's like a hinge or a reach? Um, so a lot of times the develop part is almost tailored to whatever, what, what do they want to be able to do or what, mm. you know, what are they working towards and why? Um, but it was really just, and it was, it was fun for people to see their improvements, right? Yeah. And I think that was a key part. I feel like the develop is kind of integrating, in my mindset, or like the way I frame it, correct is kind of figuring out the individual parts that need some isolated attention, some isolated work, and the develop is kind of like the integration of those parts mm. to function to go together in a coordinated way. So yeah, like balance training is a really good one, especially adding in some task-based stuff, um, plyometric stuff, like getting the feet, toes, ankles, knees, hips, all working together, coordinated to jump is like a really great way to develop capacity in the feet and the lower limbs, um, hopping, skipping, running, like all of that I feel like is the develop part. And I think if you do that sequence well, protect, correct, develop, you sort of end up needing less of the correction because you're just in this sort of developing development mode. There will always be times where you have to, you know, do some more isolated work on certain areas. But I think if you, if you say, if you have an injury and you follow that sequence well, then you're much less likely to have to go back and start from the start, I think. And it also makes people not fast track ahead to doing the extra, going straight yeah. to exercise, like right? I to go and run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like start with calf raises. Yeah. Because your, your ankle and calf can't tolerate the load or, of running right now, for example. And even start with understanding why the heck do you have an issue in the first yeah. place? Like, yeah. what are you doing? If the, you know, specific adaptation to impose demand, the idea that the body's self-healing, self-organizing really puts a mirror in front of you and says, wow, if there's an issue with my body, I can't, you know, blame my body for it anymore. Mm. It becomes a question of what am I doing mm. to create the undesired adaptation that's resulting in this, you know, pain signal. That kind of leads pretty well into yeah. this hardware-software mm. concept. Um, 
that's the software, I guess. That's the, the upgrade to the software that needs yeah, to take place. Like, for example, so the human body is comes inbuilt with software. So say you're a, a baby. Um, we all started as babies with basically no coordinated movement patterns at all, barely any movement capacity, just sort of primitive reflexes and quite chaotic, yeah, uncoordinated movements. And over time, a lot, a lot of that is because the brain is like too connected and a big part of development is actually pruning away certain connections and making more efficient pathways in the brain to create coordinated movements. And so that we kind of come with inbuilt software that helps us develop these basic ground-based patterns like rolling and sitting and crawling and then eventually squatting, standing, walking, running. So we kind of learn all of that through trial and error, which is basically play. Uh, and no one really has to, you don't really have to coach babies how to do that. They just naturally start to figure it out. There's certain things that you can encourage them with, especially like, you know, task-based things where you might put a toy a bit further away than they can actually reach, which forces them to, you know, you don't want to always just be helping them do everything. So there's ways that you can encourage it, but really it is just that software comes inbuilt. And so if you do nothing to inhibit the hardware, so when we're talking about software, it's like basically the nervous system um, and the patterns of the, the movement patterns in the nervous system, if you relate it to movement. And the hardware is all the physical parts, bones, muscles, joints, nerves, um, and the capacities of those parts. So strength, power, endurance, flexibility. So... In a natural environment, the software basically trains all of those hardware parts <laughs> simply by play and trial and error. And if you do yep. nothing to actually disrupt the function of those of that hardware, it will naturally develop to be strong, powerful, you know, flexible, have the enough endurance to survive in a natural environment. That's that's the way we're programmed. So I think the issue comes when one we start changing the environment so things like you know having chairs everywhere shoes or just like um, restrictive and heeled cushioned shoes on every pair of feet um, flat level ground everywhere and that means that your just the natural development through software gets disrupted because the hardware isn't actually building the, the capacities that it needs so that's kind of that's basically the background to hardware software um, and that is where you end up needing to do more correction or restoration on the hardware so that you can actually access more with the software. Yeah, and it's it's almost like understanding that our soft our movement software is constantly adapting impartially based on what we're exposing our bodies to. So your software is constantly adapting to optimize for the inputs that your body is being exposed to. So if you are sitting in a chair, your software is continuously impartially updating in a way that makes you really good at sitting. And that comes at the cost of not being good at any of the other movements that involve a broader range of hip range of motion. Mm -hmm. So you're, it's like the body literally is just this impartially adapting thing that doesn't actually care what, it, your body doesn't care if you want to run. All it's going to do is adapt to what you expose it to. So if you're sitting in a chair, it's going to adapt to sitting. And that comes at the expense of being out of your running technique. But the body 
really is it just knows to adapt to what it's exposed to and so i think when we think of our movement software as something that's constantly updating um it allows us to really understand that wow so it's up to me to feed this body information to update the software in a way that aligns with what i want to be able to do with my body mm -hmm. and because of the modern environment being very flat and and very i guess uh tempting by way of you know what we're exposed to with chairs everywhere and just the lifestyles that we have to live in this environment. Is that really the reason that the tools came along? The, the hardware was developed because it was able to put, I guess, something into someone's life that allowed them to upgrade that software within their own environment, whether it's a beam or a mobility ball or whatever. Yeah, it so that's, that's the other part of hardware software is the hardware of the tools that you, or the tools or the environments that you sort of put yourself in. Um, and so... And but then, to understand and the, and how to use the tools, you need software. Or software is like the training system, yeah. And it's the more important part because, I mean, a tool left alone, not engaged with, does nothing. Um, yeah. And if you can have a tool be something that people really, in, that they understand how to use it, it's fun to engage with the tool and they have a pathway to make progressions in their ability, um, that good software will create a higher likelihood that people actually use the hardware, the mm -hmm. tool itself. Mm -hmm. Because um, I think too often people buy this tool and maybe they're showing a couple of things of how to use it, but if there's no way to actually progressively engage with it in a way that improves capacity and, and where you can feel good and see firsthand that you're improving, I think there's probably a lot of tools, exercise tools or whatever you call them, that are just sitting there collecting dust because people don't have, you know, there hasn't been engaging software created to how to use the tool. Mm. So I think that's, it's almost like we want to make great hardware that aligns with our values. But the more important part, the part that actually is what allows people to want to engage with the tool is the software. Definitely. And that essentially allows people to update their software, their body software, by exposing their body to just new positions and new movements. Um, and it's almost like if we're not exposing our body to challenging stimuli on a regular basis, we're kind of like running, you know, Windows 97 and, mm. you know, it's time for an update. And it's almost like unnatural shoes and prolonged periods of time sitting in chairs are like viruses, mm -hmm. right? And balance training is like debugging your software. Yeah. It's like removing all these imbalances and these viruses. Reset. That have, it's, it's, it's like restoring it, default settings almost. Yeah. yeah, and it makes it obvious that there is a, like a virus in there. It's like, oh, I can't balance on this beam. Something, something's wrong. But yeah. <laughs> There's something that's causing me to not be able to balance on it. And something I thought of there in that sort of hardware software scenario is that most people actually get a bit confused of like, well, why about running? Like, why would I have to work on my running technique? It's such a natural movement. Shouldn't my body just know how to run? And isn't the way that I run just the way that I run and, and you know, everyone runs differently. And the, the simple answer is if you look at a a species, say like a species of bird, let's say like a peregrine falcon, they don't really have that much variability in the way that they fly or hunt. There is some variability, of course, yeah. but in general... There's kind of an optimal way an to optimal navigate. Way, yeah. yeah, there's a most efficient way to move about the environment based on the hardware that you've got. Yeah. So your body is always finding the most efficient way to use the hardware that you've got yes it's a it's a master compensator but if you if you drastically affect or disrupt your the function of your hardware through your lifestyle and your environment then it has to compensate and and 
can actually end up being inefficient. Doesn't mean it's not effective. People can still run, but they're not running in an efficient way. And mm -hmm. you don't see, it's, if you look at all of the top runners in the world, they all have a very, very similar pattern. Yeah. And there's a reason for that because it's efficient and their efficiency means they can run for longer with using less energy, which means that's why they're the top runners. So, you know, and you go down to the river. I know we used to do our little walks along the river, barefoot walks, and we'd be looking at all of the array of different running styles. And we sort of, it sort of hit us like, well, yeah, because everyone's wearing these different, different weighted shoes. shoes. The, they've got their office jobs. They've just, their software is trying, they're trying its best to figure out what to do with this weird hardware that they're just not, they're not used to, they're not really designed to have. I think like people could, can picture a clown running in clown shoes and can imagine that clown not being able to run very efficiently and yeah. the, the shoes sort of flopping all over the place because they're too big. Whereas what we're talking about is, I guess, the opposite. That's, well, that's the, that's the spectrum, basically. Yeah. yeah. So massive, heavy clown shoes affects you in one way. And that's obviously the extreme. But then clunky, heavy, cushioned, heeled mm -hmm. shoes will, will inevitably change your running style because that's not where your software is built mm. to, to use. So you, you can sort of work around it. But often the best way to improve the software is um, just restore function to the hardware yeah and then and then remove the things that are disrupting the function of the hardware and then the software can have the opportunity to self-organize i used to tell all the runners that i saw in clinic like the way you run um the way you run is the most important thing in terms of performance and injury prevention and the way you run is a direct reflection of how you use your body all of the hour all the waking hours that you don't spend running that is what actually creates the hardware capacity that you have with running and the constraints of what movement patterns you can use. And if you're not using your body or you're putting your body in a very limited array of movement shapes of, of just postures when you're not running, you're not going to have very many options when you are running mm -hmm. and you're going to use whatever options are available. But if it's extremely inefficient, you're going to end up underloading certain areas and overloading others. Yeah. And I think it's, I think a lot of people fall back on this idea that they go to their doctor's office, they have knee pain. The doctor says, well, what activities do you do? Oh, I run. Okay, well, running's bad for you. You need to stop running. When in reality, it's, well, how, I wonder how, how, are, you, how are you running and how are you using your body when you're not running? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's not the running itself. That running is not bad for your body. It's yeah. how you run can be bad for your body. Yeah. 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 And, and what you're doing in the rest of the time. Yeah. 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 So to sort of put a pin in that, there's the physical, our physical musculoskeletal hardware, like I said, bones, muscles, joints, nerves, they've got a certain load tolerance or work capacity that they are able to achieve based on the way you use them, the total, the sum of how you've used them throughout your whole life. Uh, and that's kind of, that's like the restore part. So we have this tagline, restore to explore. Obviously, that's the name of the podcast, but that basically summarizes our philosophy in a, in a big degree and the restore part mostly relates to the hardware and so there's a lot of different ways that you can restore function to the hardware a lot of people do um, like pilates is one sort of way where they isolate various things and then integrate um, but you can 
restore through that. ATG is another system. We've just spent time with Ben, Patrick and his crew in Clearwater at the ATG headquarters. And I think that's a really fantastic way to restore function to the lower limb, um, especially knees, obviously, but they go into hips and ankles and, and, and lower back. They, well, it's like pretty much a whole body system. We mm. plugged in a bit of our foot stuff in there, but you know, it's quite a holistic way of restoring function. Uh, this FRC is another good method where they really isolate body parts. There's a lot of different methods, uh, but all of those are basically aimed at restoring function because our modern environments and lifestyles have tended to disrupt our function so much. And they're mostly work-based. Work-based, yeah. So that's that restoration and that improves your work capacity, I think would be a, a good way to summarize that. Then you've got the software, which we is the sort of explore part that we focus on. And that is partly, like I said, the movement patterns and skills that you've got with the central nervous system. So coordination, accuracy, stability, reaction time. Um, we also sort of think that beliefs and mindset are part of your software and they're actually really important to address. Uh, that's kind of a topic for, yeah, it's a, that's a big topic in itself, but the, all of that kind of creates your software and that's kind of like your adaptability uh, or, and your plasticity as a, as a being. So exploring tasks and challenges that integrate all of the hardware parts together in fun or meaningful ways creates more adaptable software. So really good ways to do that. And that's kind of like your play capacity. I've been thinking about it, hmm. or like your, your, your play capacity is like your adaptability, like how many different skills can you learn and how quickly and how can you apply them? But that's really good to express through things like, you know, sports or balance training, parkour and natural movement, juggling, martial arts, um, acrobatics and locomotives, surfing, skating, snowboarding. So you can kind of see the difference between the two. One is kind of isolated restoration. The other is just sort of play-based exploration. And it's it reflects the protect, correct, develop uh, yeah. sort of yeah, I think so, flow yeah. as well. The restore is the protect and the correct, and the explore is, is the develop. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think in that context too, if explore um, is play and you know, having fun with movement, it gives sort of meaning and purpose to the work. Yeah. Because if you're just doing the work for the sake of doing the work, it actually gets kind of like, almost becomes like almost a chore. But if it's all framed within the context that I'm doing this work to expand my capacity so I can explore more play or play play harder with others um, and have more fun with my movement, then it gives a, a different reason for actually engaging in the work. Because you do need work. There is a work element to restoring uh, capacity of the body. But if it's all work and no play, it actually becomes something that's very hard, I think, to do consistently. And so it's about finding that balance of, you know, I'm, I, I play to understand what my limits are. I find out what areas need a little bit of restoration. I put in the work to restore those areas. And then I get back to play to test whether my restoration targeted the right spots and to expand my capacity to increase the amount of skills that I can do when I'm mm. playing so that I can play different games and play with different people. Yeah. We wanted to take a quick break from the episode to let you know about our ultimate free foot health resource. If you're listening, you've probably already started the journey towards improving your foot and movement health. But if you're still wearing conventional shoes most of the time, that's anything cushioned, heeled, narrow or rigid, it's kind of like taking one step forward and two steps back. 
Knowing what shoe is right for you though can be super confusing. That's why we made the Guide to Foot Freedom. We've taken everything our team of foot health experts have learned over the years and synthesized it into one handy manual, packed with all you need to know about unleashing the natural power of your foundation. You'll learn how to understand your feet, the truth about modern footwear, the five F's for finding natural footwear, plus a step-by-step -step guide with training videos to help you assess your foot function and improve it so you can safely and seamlessly transition into shoes that will finally give your feet freedom. The best part is, like I said, it's absolutely free. Just head to thefootcollective.com and click learn to find the free ebook, The Guide to Foot Freedom. You'll find the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. Yeah. Yeah. I think to probably go into the next phase of the evolution of that training then, and, you know, we had the Restore to Explore sort of epiphany a couple of years ago, um, and it was around the same time that, we realize the power of the hacky sack. Uh, yeah. And I think it's a really good symbol for what we're trying to explain because... Actually, I think we were out bush, we were rock hopping, and we were playing a lot of hacky sack. So we... I think it was about the same time. Like, well, I think it, it yeah. was probably... We were out bush playing hacky sack and had just finished rock hopping. And we were just expressing how much fun the rock hopping was and how much fun the hacky sack was and just really soaking up that joy of movement and it kind of put us on this path where like our bodies wouldn't be able to do that like we're, we're so good at the rock hopping because of the beam training mm. and, I, and probably this was before the soulmate but uh, or maybe around the same time like all of the balance training we were doing was like a supplement during our week where we were just in city life and there was no rock hopping to do. It was the restoration was, we put in. Yeah. It was going for the morning walks by the river barefoot. It and was the plantar release and getting our feet ready to tolerate load. And, you know, we were like, you know, we realized that this rock hopping, this hacky sack, this play is, is what all that is for. <laughs> but I think it's, I think we're probably both lucky that at the time we, we weren't in pain, but I think a lot of people get into this mindset of like, I just want to get rid of this pain. Like that's my only goal. And a lot of people that come to me as a physio and to our um, community is they're very pain focused. Mm -hmm. It's like, I just want to get rid of this pain. But what, what we ask people and encourage people is to go a layer deeper and well, why do you want to get rid of the pain? Well, because the, the pain sucks and it has, well, what is the pain actually stopping you from doing? That's right. usually the deeper reason that someone wants to get out of pain so they can actually go and do something even if that's not it if that's just someone is like no i just care about the pain and then even still they you still have to have something that you're building towards that is motivated intrinsically motivating and it's it's interesting as we were going on this journey of trying to work out how do we make this training more accessible for people who are in pain at the same time as we were playing around with the hacky sack ourselves, we realized the potential of, you know, a simple tool like that and a play-based approach to help people who hadn't experienced pain yet, young athletes mm -hmm. who, you know, were based on the games that they were playing and the sports that they were playing and the lack of movement variability, highly at risk of suffering serious injuries. Um, and that goes for so many sports and so many young athletes. Two of our team members, Link and Luke, both did their ACLs, you know, as young teenagers. And we saw sort of firsthand the impacts that that could have on kids. And, you know, to the same degree as 
making the training fun for people in pain, we realized the only way to get kids to look at preventing injuries like that and, and building resilience was again to make it play-based so that mm. they actually wanted to do it. Kids aren't going to sign up for an injury prevention course. Their parents might, but the kids aren't going to engage in it. And so it was a really unique sort of, we're working at both ends of the of the, the story really and trying to work out ways that we could make, yeah, make this training be- beneficial to both. And ironically enough, it was the, it was the same answer really. Play is the way is kind of what we came to. Um, whether that's, and we also realized that because uh, the hardware software is pretty inseparable. So mm. when you are training your software, you are also having an effect on the hardware. Yep. Sometimes the hardware needs more focus, but there's a lot of restoration you can do through play, which I think is kind of what we've been building more and more towards. And the, I think the big catalyst to that was the soulmate. So the beam we realized at a certain point we were we said well this is really great for a certain population but people who are in pain or they've got you know high levels of foot dysfunction or they're you know older and their balance is really deteriorated it's almost it's just too challenging yeah. so they can't it's actually they, they can't hit that channel where it's you know a flow state or it's fun they just sort of get end up getting frustrated or their feet end up hurting a bit too much because it's a bit too much load so we Long story short, we this soulmate idea was birthed where it's a gentler um, surface for the feet. It's an, a wider dome or a wider surface, so it's easier to balance on, more accessible. But the big thing is that it splits in two, so you can infinitely scale the stance to make it s- suit your current balance capacity, basically. And that was a real game changer because it just opened up... M- both accessibility for anyone at regardless of the as as long as you can stand you can start training your balance and like and therefore your foot ability um but also it's scalable for even you know the youngest or even like young high performing athletes there's almost infinite scalability there Mm. it just depends how hard you play on it really Yeah, yeah exactly and then even another layer on that an insight from this trip is that actually to start you don't even need a soulmate you can literally grab a towel, roll it up. Yeah. And that really, the idea of open sourcing all of our training, all the soulmate sessions, all the soulmate training system, um, and literally getting people to start with a rolled up towel at home and building up to the capacity to be able to start using something like a soulmate. Um, and then maybe eventually a beam. It's like the beam was just too advanced, like you said, for mm-hmm. most people. The beam was like two, two steps <laughs> ahead, basically. Yeah. And all the way along, I think, we have consistently reinforced the fact that you don't need the tools. Like yeah. whether it was the beam, you don't need the beam. You can you can, you can train on your own. flat ground. Or we encourage you to make your own. You don't need a mobility ball. You can use a, a, a you know you can use a tennis ball. You can use a rolled up pair of socks instead of a hacky sack. You don't need the thing. And I think what that all was missing all the way along though was without the thing. What do I do? What do I do? And it's not that fun (laughs) and also we our training systems were primarily for people who bought the tools so that's that was one of the big flips that we've had on this trip is that we were leading up to it but we're going even deeper on it is just making all of our training open sourced and showing exactly how to do it with different tools that you can just have at home 
and really just making our tools a bonus because I think there is there is very much something to investing in a physical artifact that you can have around your house. Like we like to call it functional furniture. And, you know, if you actually spend money on a bit of functional furniture that you like the look of, like a soulmate or a beam or a hacky, it's going to be a better experience and you're going to have more room to grow and improve with those tools but you really don't need them to get started. And we'd actually prefer that people get hooked on the training first with the very simple, cheap tools that they've got at home or free tools, like a towel and a balled up pair of socks, realize how much fun it is, realize that they can improve and then then invest in the, in the tools, in the actual sort of physical artifacts. Because I think, I was just gonna say, I think what we realized is, you know, initially the Soulmate was the hardware that we offered. But I think we've realized that the soulmate training is really what is yeah. most important. The soul, it's the software. Soul, the soulmate software. software, yeah. Yeah. And it's about being mates with your soul yeah. through the software. It's the hardware's a bonus. Yeah. And the hardware's just a way of showing that you support what we're trying to achieve and that you also value your own health and, and are willing to make that commitment. But you can do it all for free. And I also think sometimes the hardware, specific hardware that is for balance training, something like a soulmate, is actually a really powerful prompt. Because if you put that piece mm. of hardware somewhere that you cross every day, like I remember Kelly Sturette on the podcast said, we just put a beam in the kitchen. So every time we're in the kitchen, we're doing some balance for some period of time because it's literally just there. Mm. The idea of actually visually seeing the piece of hardware is a prompt to say, oh, I'm just going to balance for 30 seconds. And you'd be surprised how much the environment nudges our behaviors, mm -hmm. where if you actually design your environment to be really conducive to movement and make sedentary behavior really inconvenient, you actually don't have to think about doing ground-based living or not sitting in chairs because it's actually just the invisible nudge that brings you to doing more ground. If, if seated surfaces are really inconvenient to access, you're automatically going to be less likely to sit on them. Mm -hmm. If balance tools are scattered everywhere or in certain places in your home, you're going to be far more likely to actually engage with that tool. Even if it's for short bursts throughout the day, that might actually be the best way to dose this initially. Um, and then when you have the ability to actually plug that training into a system that gives you this progressive ladder of levels that you can work through and actually witness yourself in real time making progress and finding more and more challenging ways to, um, to kind of challenging aspirations to work towards, it actually makes it a lot more enjoyable when you can witness yourself making progress. Mm -hmm. So, Jim, then, I guess you're probably the best one to describe this, but we've sort of explained how the philosophy has evolved and the hardware has evolved. But, like, what's the training gone from? Sort of where did, what did the TFC training originally look like and then what are we trying to do with it now? Yeah, well, we basically did an overhaul of the TFC training maybe two years ago where we did, we had a foot training system. And then when we sort of birthed the soulmate, there was the soulmate training system. And that actually started with kind of isolated exercises. It was still quite a exercise based. So where there was mobility exercises you could do on the soulmate and there was balance exercises or balance training, but they were all sort of split up into, okay, you do this stance, you do, you know, it was a bit clunky, a bit hard to follow. Um, I think there's still a role, obviously, as we said, for restoring function. So mobility exercises, there's a role for that. But where the training is now is, uh, and it's all on YouTube, which you can go and check right now, it is uh, 
framework called Soulmate Sessions. So it's five to 10 min minute videos where you explore one challenge throughout the video and you decide your the stance that you need to use for that challenge based on your current capacity. And so there's beginner level challenges where you can use one of four different stances that uh, go from easier to harder. And there's lots of ways that you can scale each of those stances. And then you could also do the beginner challenges with an intermediate stance, which is another five different stances that you can explore. So there's already in there, there's one challenge that could ch challenge you for probably weeks or months or years, depending on what stance you use. And so there's intermediate, there's beginner challenges, there's intermediate challenges. Eventually there'll be advanced challenges, possibly by the time this you're listening to this podcast. Um, and then the big thing we want to stress there is these challenges that you're practicing by yourself all will help you build the skills to then play with someone else. So partner challenges and partner games. And that's actually where like the sweet spot is. So the, the way we're describing the soulmate sessions or like a little tagline for it is play, flow, connect. And so that's related to the elements of true fun, which is in um, this book called The Power of Fun, which we've discussed pretty in depth on the Truth Fun Community podcast, which you can go and listen to. Um, but essentially, there's three elements of true fun. One is playfulness, which is, you know, lightheartedness and freedom and not being too worried about the outcome. One is flow, which is like full presence, engagement, focus on the task at hand and like an expression of a mastery, expression of mastery of a skill. And then connection is a connection with, could be with your body, but mostly it is with someone else, um, could be with nature. But the easiest way and probably potentially the most powerful way is to connect with someone else, whether it's a partner or a friend or a family member. And when you have those three elements, that provides an experience of true fun, which is a really powerful way to influence your physical and mental health. That's basically the summary of it. And so, you know, we were talking about it today, like there's you, the solo things, solo drills are a way to play. It's kind of sequential in a sense. You play, you explore your body in a lighthearted way. There's no really right or wrong way of doing it. You're getting taught by the soulmate because or you're right or the towel yep because you're either staying on it staying stable on it or you're stepping off so there's that you need to first sort of play around with the body and, and get a feel for how it moves in different stances and then as you get used to that you can start to get into a bit of a flow state where you're just so fully focused and present on that that you're performing well you're nailing challenges and you're progressing and that puts you in that sort of flow state and then that allows you to connect more with someone who's hopefully also doing a similar process and you can either work collaboratively on these partner games or you can work competitively or play competitively against each other. And that helps you both take your skills to the next level. I think we experienced this ourselves and maybe didn't want to admit it at first. We all did the Explorer program, uh, which is our 42 day guided journey where you learn a lesson each day and then you have to submit your proof of work so you have to do uh, essentially the restoration work so it's restoration work for your feet ankles knees hips and balance mm -hmm. and i think we all sort of <laughs> came to the realization that 
it's it's great for the body and you do feel good don't get me wrong and you definitely see progress but doing sort of 15 10 to 15 minutes of focused work every day felt like a chore it, it was, was it ended up quite a chore it was hard yeah. to turn up for and maybe that's just because we really like to play and we know how fun play is but by the end like i was sort of skipping my work and i just wanted to be playing on the beam yeah and i guess that's where you know where we, the, the big lesson we've learned has been that you know it's great to do the 20 calf raises the 20 tibialis raises and um you know work through your your lower body but if you're umming and ahhing or really struggling to get that done just, just play. play yeah just play it needs to be fun yeah it's like the the best thing to do is the thing that you're willing to commit to and be consistent with you might have the best exercise quote unquote exercise in the world but if you do it once a month it's not gonna do anything mm -hmm. whereas the tiniest little thing that you're actually willing to show up and do consistently every day for a minute and that you're for excited a month, to show they're up. excited to do it's like if we can make the process of restoring function fun that's the secret sauce to actually get people to not force themselves to to do the work out of guilt or treat it as a chore is like literally look forward to doing their their session each day to see how they're progressing and actually put a smile on their face and explore movement and the the, the best part about that is if you prioritize the play and the fun you one you're more much more likely to show up for it um and you can also use that as a screen of like oh i'm really struggling with say my split stance or this challenge because my ankle is stiff and then that gives you a purpose to mm. restore your ankle function. And yeah. you can go and find the exercises that you need to restore the ankle function, not just for the sake of restoring the ankle function, but for the sake of improving on that one challenge or that game that you were uh, restricted from, which then allows you to then play more with other people and have more fun with your community. And it also gives you a metric to work towards because yeah. I think sometimes people say, I have tight ankles and they work on ankle mobility forever mm. because the goal is just, oh, I, I, how much ankle mobility do you need? Well, I just need more because I'm tight right now. Whereas if it's actually based within the context of a game or a stance or a challenge you're trying to nail, once you put in enough work to actually open up enough hardware to do that thing that you were trying to do, it's like, well, okay, I can check that off and maybe I don't have to keep working on my ankle mobility. I just have to visit that position every day and that's what maintains the mobility. Exactly. And I'd argue that a lot of people probably aren't even aware of where the tightness or the stiffness is. And, mm. uh, you know, I'd challenge people to, to play and like you described, that flow state that you get into is a way to actually tune into your body far deeper than you probably have in a very, very long time. Yeah. And and that's the space where you're able to then identify what your limitations are. Mm. And on what you said, Nick, the, the restoration of the hardware, you know, part of that is, is physically changing the, the cells in that area, like the actual physical part, but there is also software the software influences how much movement you can experience in a certain area. So yep. um, that's this idea of like the central governor or like a, you know, a neurophysiological approach. So it's not just stiffness, not just physical stiffness in the ankle. It's actually an output of the brain or the nervous system not wanting you to move in a certain range through the ankle. And those two work together. So if you just focus on, you know, ankle mobility exercises, that might not stick in your nervous system unless you actually play with that movement in a meaning in something that's meaningful or like a task-based thing so that your nervous system knows okay i actually need to 
keep that range of motion because we're exploring these tasks. Otherwise, if you just do a range of motion exercise and then it's not integrated, there's not really as much reason for that range of motion to stick. Or yeah, you haven't earned the right to keep it. Yeah. I, I realized that too early on. I realized kind of quickly that all these ankle mobility deficits that I was seeing coming into the clinic, I used to take the old hardware approach, right? It was like, how do we get that joint moving? How do we put you at end range, mobilizing in and out? What I realized pretty quickly is that there's just a, this neurological protective mechanism where if you're not stable at your hip and your foot, your body has to keep certain muscles in the lower leg turned on for stability, which means they can't actually lengthen to the extent you need to access the ankle mobility. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this, these, these almost seeming hardware restrictions were actually software dysfunctions yeah. where the muscles that need to be able to lengthen to allow you to express a certain amount of hardware mobility were being turned on as stabilizers and therefore couldn't lengthen. And as soon as you plugged in the hip, as soon as you got the foot and the hip doing what they were supposed to and the deep hip stabilizers working, all of a sudden your calf doesn't have to be a stabilizer, mm -hmm. right? And your quad and your hamstrings don't have to be turned on all the mm -hmm. time as stabilizers. And so all of a sudden, you know, you can unlock this massive amount of mobility or flexibility just by getting the proper stabilizers doing the job they're supposed to do. Yeah. And that was just like a kind of like, hit me hard where I was like, shit, I'm doing all this work to try and like get into the nitty gritty hardware restrictions when in reality, the hardware actually isn't, um, doesn't have a hard restriction. It has the pseudo restriction because the software in the body doesn't know how to coordinate all the parts together to allow full movement expression. So, so quite possibly an actionable sequence for someone listening is do a soulmate session, whether you've got a soulmate or not tune into what is restricting you, then go and do some kind of mobility work. If, if you've got the time, you could just stop there. You could just do the soulmate session, tune in and every day just try and get better and better. But if you've got the time and you've got the, you know, the moxie, the, the motivation, then you can tune into that, do some mobility work on that area, say it's a hip or an ankle, and then come back and do the same soulmate session and integrate that and yeah. feel how different it is. And that's actually probably the ideal way to yeah. uh, make these changes in your body and your nervous system stick. Because it's almost like the initial soulmate session is a is like a, a body screen and a yeah. self-assessment. It's like, okay, I notice that these positions, I feel a restriction here. You go and put a bit of work, clean up some hardware. And when you get back on the soulmate and work requiring yourself to have stability in those new positions, you're essentially updating the software and hitting control safe mm -hmm. so that you're then granted access to keep those hardware um, improvements because you've actually shown the body. Because if you free up mobility, but you have no stability software on there, the body rightfully should take that back from you because mobility without stability is actually a risk factor for injury. Mm -hmm. Whereas I open up mobility, have this blank window, and unless I layer on software showing that I actually can own that position because I'm stable there, the body's instantly going to take it right back. And so it's almost like this, you know, self-assessment, find out what hardware needs a bit of love, work on the hardware, update the software. And it's this incremental process where you can't just work on hardware mm. or just work on software. You actually have to, you know, clean up one, lay down new software, clean up hardware, lay down new software. And it's very incremental, but the ability to actually go on the soulmate and self-screen based on putting yourself in these you know, edge positions that are right at the limit of your capacity allows you to actually tailor what you need to, to work on. So you're not just working on some random part you think is tight. You're actually showing yourself firsthand, I feel that I'm restricted here in this movement in the soulmate system. And then I can go back and actually verify that the work I did was 
correct because now I have access to it. Mm-hmm. And I think like to bring that sort of full circle, balance training, I guess, initially was something that you stumbled upon as literally as like this tool and a screen, but it's the combination of the play with the balance training that that we've really realized is the key. It's And it's the benefits of that balance training itself. It's like one thing to play for five minutes a day, but it's the act of doing it in combination with balancing that, that is the real secret. Barefoot sort. balancing. Barefoot yeah. balancing, yeah. yeah. We should go deep on just the podcast talking about balance training and neuroplasticity. Yeah. yeah. I think that would probably be good to do in future. For those, for those listening, yeah, because that is a deep rabbit hole. But for those listening, balance training and especially making a lot of errors while balance training so working at the right level where yes you know you're not falling off every second but you are making regular errors so in that sort of goldilocks zone of not too easy not too hard um that actually is a very strong portal for plasticity in your brain which is what we were talking about before the software part of things is how adaptable is your brain and how quickly can it learn new skills. So not only does the balance training make you better at picking up the balance or whatever movement task you're doing while balancing, it actually opens up a window where you're better at learning anything else that you then do, whether it's a language or some kind of study or reading a book or whatever, you would just have more adaptability in your brain. So you could give yourself little doses of balance training and play is another way to open up plasticity so it is like this really ultimate combination that we've we we originally sort of thought about it mostly in terms of the foot uh the effects on the feet and the integration between the feet and the hips um and even the integration between you know the whole body coordination while you're trying to balance on this narrow surface but probably the yeah the deeper aspect to it is the nervous system changes which means you're able to get better at anything or learn another activity so it's it's not like again it's not even like the exploration on the on our tools with the soulmate the beam or the hacky is the end goal those just make you more adaptable to then be able to go and learn other things whether it's pickleball or you know volleyball or some kind of other sport where you're able to connect with someone may not be a sport could be dancing could be martial arts could just it just gives you the confidence and the skills to learn other new skills, uh, which is a really amazing way to stay young, to connect with other people, to yeah, just to explore the capacity of your body. And why is balance? Why does balance training? Is it why is it such a special thing in terms of like why does the body tune in to us falling over so much? Well, yeah. So the, yeah, and that's this is where the errors come in. So if it's too easy and you're not making any errors, that won't stimulate plasticity so the errors is basically your vestibular system realizing that there was a mismatch between your movement and your movement output at the time and what was required for you to stay stable so it gets that feedback like we said it's this instant feedback from the body of okay i didn't stay stable and falling is such a existential risk to the body because you could hit your head you could well at worst, you could fall and break an arm, um, or at worst, rather, you hit your head and die. <laughs> at minimum, you're going to fall and like stumble and you know maybe scratch something or stub something. <laughs> but either way, your brain really doesn't want to fall. Like even much. 
even evolutionarily, if you're running from a predator and you fall, you're dead. Yeah. If you are hunting an animal, you fall and you don't get the food. You that's that's a yeah. big threat. It's a big so it's threat. like the the risk of falling is viewed too big <laughs> in our in our prehistoric software, which we kind of still have despite being in an advanced technological world, uh, is is viewed as so salient, so um, important to tune into that it prioritizes that and solving that problem um, to a high degree. Yeah. So the, these deeper brain centers recognize that you're falling a lot, you're making a lot of errors with balance. And so they release all these neurotransmitters um, to basically make your brain more adaptable because it's like, hey, we need to learn here. Yeah. We need to <laughs> learn so that we're not making so many errors. And then the cool thing is you can just keep making it incrementally harder and harder so that the brain is always like, okay, we need to learn. How do we learn? How do we... And it it responds really quickly. Like in, in one 10-minute session of balance training or even five minutes, you'll notice an improvement because it quickly just quickly goes, okay, how do we figure this out? And you, as long as you don't completely give up, if you push through that sort of frustration or maybe you need to get frustrated, have a break and then come back to it, you give your brain this really cool opportunity to improve. It's it's almost like upgrading the RAM on that Windows 97 computer and just sending it into overdrive and being able to learn, learn, learn. Mm. We just expand your bandwidth to learn. Mm. And it's like you said, in all realms. I think the other thing that I found personally with balance training is I have a tendency to have kind of a busy, overactive mind. And I think balance training for me was actually, balance training was the training wheels I used to be able to meditate, first mm. of all. So there's something there where in a world of distraction where people find it hard to focus and concentrate, balance training is actually this beautiful feedback loop where if you're falling off, it might be an indicator that you're not paying attention or focusing on what you're doing, whether that's your breath or just tuning into your body. And so I think for, whether it's for kids or even adults that want to expand their capacity to engage in focused um, learning or focused work, deep work, I think balance training is actually a really powerful outlet to train focus. And I remember talking to Felix saying like, dude, right now I'm finding balance training as a mental training exercise with great physical benefits. Whereas other people will go to it and say, I'm doing it for the physical benefits. They might even not even know the, the mental side effect that they're getting by being able to train their mind to focus on one single task and not be distracted. And that I think is maybe the most powerful thing in this modern technology age where technology is constantly creeping and switching our context and actually inhibiting our ability to focus on one task for a prolonged period of time. Um, you know, and I think that's where, you know, the business and the corporate side of things where, you know, teams that play together and train their focus and concentration will actually perform better at whatever business they're doing. They will be more productive. They'll be more creative. And I think we haven't really even tapped into that, but I think that's a, you know, I think that's a big part of it. And I even mentioned in the play shop where it's like, you know, I'm writing these blogs every week, microdose for the soul for soul freedom. And whenever I run into a block where I either find it hard to focus or I'm distracting myself and procrastinating or just don't have any sort of creative inspiration, sometimes I'll just put like some Baroque music on and go on a, on a beam or a soulmate for five minutes and literally it brings clarity so that I can actually focus on the task. And that's a cool thing, I think. Yeah, I think it's exactly, I mean, business or corporate, even to, you know, the, the smaller degree, uh, those sports teams that I was talking yeah. about, when we started doing uh, sort of training programs, the injury prevention programs with young football teams, we couldn't tangibly uh, sort of, you know, have research to back up what we were saying. But we tried to explain to coaches that, you know, let us come in, let us do 30 minutes of this training before your 
players jump into their soccer boots. And, you know, we were working with more elite teams, but firstly, the kids, they've been at school all day. They've been sitting down, uh, you know, they're a bundle of energy. Uh, they've probably had a bit of sugar bef- after they've finished school and, and then they've come to soccer training and it's chaotic. But then you lay out beams and you get them to beam battle and they instantly zone in. Mm. And what we were trying to describe to the coaches is, is, you know, imagine what this must do for their ability then to soak up everything that they're, they're about to train and yeah. the, the work that they're about to put in. It primes them. Exactly. And it gets that energy out and, and it gets them in that zone where they're now ready to really, you know, really benefit from the hard work that the coaches put in to, to formulate their training. So, mm. um, again, you can't like quantify that. You kind of just need to witness a bunch of 10-year-olds yep. running about and then zoning, zoning in. in. Yep. To get it, got to experience it, and you got to mm. witness it. Yeah. So, well, that might be a good place to wrap it up. Experience yep. and witness it. Like we said, I challenge everyone to join the the seven day, you know, yeah, seven, seven days, days of play. Of play. Yeah. yeah. So join the community, or just head to the YouTube, and you can see what we're up to in there. We can see you, you can post what you're what you're up to, and just get inspiration from other people. Um, hopefully inspire some other people if you come into the community there'll be links in the show notes that you can check out um, but yeah otherwise it's all all available on YouTube for free you don't need any of the hardware to start it's, um, yeah a couple of rolled up towels balled up pair of socks will be more than enough to get you started and yeah my challenge would be feel the frustration of making the errors and this has actually been really helpful for me understand that that frustration and those errors is priming your brain and body to improve at a rapid rate <laughs> and you will feel progress if you stick at it even if you come back to it five minutes one day come back to it five minutes the next day if you stick at it you will notice progress and you'll start to get hooked on that progress because no- nothing really feels as good as progress <laughs> there's some some kind of there is rewards, literally reward circuitry in your brain to make you get hooked on that feeling of progress and improvement. And that's really one of the best things that you can do for your brain and your body, your mental health, physical health. And then the next step is making sure that you're connecting with others through yeah. that training as well. Which... And there's no, I think the beauty of balance training, the thing that I've always loved, um, even at workshops and, and seminars, people always say like, am I doing it right? How do I put my feet? And my favorite thing to say was, don't look down, don't fall off. The only way you're doing it wrong is if you're not making mistakes and you're not smiling. Yeah. And that's it. And there's really no constraints. And I think it just gives people this, you can almost see some people go, oh, like they're relieved that they're like, I don't have to worry about doing it wrong anymore. All I have to worry about is get back on, enjoy it, begin again, begin again. And I think even what you said, Jim, is like, if you're not making errors, you're not challenging yourself enough. Mm. And so making errors goes from something that is like bad, I'm doing it wrong, to actually this is the key to opening up my brain to be able to learn and soak in all of this new information I'm giving it. Mm. So I love the feeling of starting a new challenge and being like, ooh, that's hard. Like, yep. oh, I slipped up. Oh, again, again. Okay, all right. And then you get into this mode of like, okay, I'm going to nail this. And then you nail it. And then you feel really good. And then you can, oh, well, what's next? It's like, what's the next level? Yeah. What's the, what's the slightly level up from this so that I'm challenged enough that it's difficult, um, but not frustrating. And I think the goal with so many sessions and so many training in the system of stances that go from easy, low level to very advanced and high level is to allow people to slot in wherever they are at that point in time, 
while knowing that if they overshoot and go too advanced, there's a layer just below. And if they get really good and nail that challenge, there's a layer just above. Yeah. And it's like this infinitely scalable system um, of having always having something that's a little bit harder than where you're at now. And I think that last point that you mentioned is play with others when you can. Yeah. I guess, yeah, that, that, would, that would be my last thought is that, you know, while a lot of this training is great for your feet, um, I would challenge you to do the seven days. Tell me that you're not wanting to then do it for another seven days and then invite someone who you think could use just a bit more fun in their life. Yeah. Not necessarily about training their balance or improving or their, their foot health. No. They could have perfect feet, but if... <laughs> Everyone doesn't play enough. You know, I think everyone in society don't, you know, we could all play more. And if it means that you start getting them on board by playing with them, and I know it sounds silly to say this, like it does seem so simple, but yeah, I guess that's what we're trying to get to. While we are the foot collective, like fun is the key here and we just need to get people playing more. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to the Restore to Explore podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review wherever you're listening. That's the best way to support us and to help us reach more people. If you're after more free TFC education or training, looking for any of our TFC tools, natural footwear discounts, or you want specialized guidance on your foot health journey from a trusted TFC health professional, head to thefootcollective.com. All of the important links are in the show notes of the episode.